1: As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
2: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss.
0: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Hi, it's Gary. This is another Deshaun Watson episode, and you probably know what that means. Much of it is not suitable for younger listeners. For those of you who are sticking around, here it is. Hello and welcome to the MMTV NFL Podcast. I'm Gary Gramling, And I'm Connor Orr. And Connor, I have very good news for you. It's a Jenny Brentis show.
5: Uh, I thought you were going <laughs> to say there was pizza for dinner, but this is still good.
4: <laughs> Woohoo! We would like to once again welcome in our, uh, our good friend, Jenny Brentis, who... Uh, this is another explosive, uh, thoroughly reported piece on Deshaun Watson. That uh, came out in the New York Times earlier this week, and we're uh, we're just glad to have you back here, Jenny.
6: Well, it is always a pleasure to be back on the show with you, too. Thanks for having me.
4: We will dive right into it here, and uh, I'll uh, I'll I'll go first, I guess. Uh, so, uh, as everyone already knew, there have been two more civil complaints filed, uh, bringing that number to twenty-four for the time being. Uh, your piece, though, uh, involved, you know, kind of like you did when you were here at Sports Illustrated, uh, you spoke to a lot of people who are not involved in these lawsuits, women who uh, uh, had interactions with, with Watson but are not suing him, which, you know, anyone who wants to sort of wave their hands and say, you know, everyone's just chasing money, well, they're, they're, they're not chasing money is what we're looking at here, but... Um, you know, we have Watson's legal team who came out and said publicly that, uh, three of the plaintiffs massage appointments, uh, led to sexual activity, but now we have even more women who are saying, well, you know, this, (laughs) this, this happened to, to me as well.
6: Yeah. So within the couple past couple of weeks, Watson's defense team has sort of put forth their most specific public defense yet. They have sort of divided the plaintiffs into two categories. The vast majority, they claim that absolutely nothing happened in the appointments. And then in three appointments, they say that sexual acts happened after the massage was concluded and at the initiation of the women. And so in reaching out to people, um, I actually started uh, uh, reaching out to a more massage therapists before those comments were made publicly, Gary. And as you mentioned, you know, this is kind of something we began over a year ago together at Sports Illustrated contacting massage therapists in the Houston area, in other cities. Um, It's a close community. There aren't that many massage therapists, you know, so just sort of trying to connect with people who may have had an appointment or may have had an experience. And so in doing that, I talked to three additional women who said that he either tried to initiate sex acts or did initiate sex acts. And they're, stories kind of became even more important in the light of the public explanation put forth by Watson's team because all of these women described the ways in which he was taking the appointment in a sexual direction. You know, one woman said he begged for oral sex. Uh, Another woman said she was only licensed to give him a back facial, um, which is something new to me, but it's basically just a facial for your skin on your back above the waist, not necessary to undress below the waist. Uh, Mm -hmm. But She said he did and directed her to work on his groin area, which she declined to do. And then a third woman said in all three of their appointments, he did initiate uh, sex acts, uh, two cases, sexual intercourse. Once he pulled down her scrubs. um, In another instance, he kind of grabbed her wrist and placed it um, on his private areas. uh, And she said that she just didn't know how to tell him no. So. Their stories, you know, these are, again, people, as you said, Gary, not suing, they haven't filed criminal complaints, um, but they, I just said, hey, I just want to hear your interaction with, with him, and this is what they shared, and so it is additional people who fit into these pattern of women who have said that they bent in believing this was a professional massage appointment with a high-profile client, and then he took the massage in a sexual direction uh, without their consent.
5: Jenny, it seems like a lot of the, uh, you know, there's this sort of groundswell of what whataboutism anytime that there's a story like this. And I, for some reason, there seems to be this sort of foundation of Watson supporters who have said, well, what about this? What about that? One of the things that we've come across and I'm sure that you've heard a great deal of now is well what about Rob, Robert Kraft right and this seems like the same thing and uh, it, it's obviously not um, uh, and uh, I'm just kind of curious you know how do we because I feel like I'm not doing a good enough job at it like how do we adequately draw the line here for folks to to understand that like these are two very different things that we're talking about here
6: Yeah, Connor, I think it's a great question. It's obviously something that has been brought up a lot. I think there is a distinction between what Kraft was alleged to have participated in and what Watson has been alleged to have engaged in. With Kraft, there was two misdemeanor counts of soliciting prostitution. So the allegation was that he went to a massage parlor that offered sex acts, that he paid for those sex acts and then received them. Um, Those charges were dropped and, you know, the understanding, I, I guess, was that the massage parlor was offering these things. The difference with Watson is that these women say these were professional massage appointments. They went in there expecting to give Deshaun Watson a professional massage and he surprised them or shocked them. Uh, by taking the massage in a direction that was sexual, um, by initiating some kind of sexual contact, by asking for some kind of sex acts, and that was not the intention. So, you know, of course, both of these things are in the criminal realm. Um, Again, with Kraft, the charges were dropped and Watson was not charged. Um, But I think there is a clear distinction between the behavior that's been alleged here because uh, in Watson's case, The 24 women who have filed civil suits have alleged non-consensual sexual contact.
1: My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council.
2: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick
0: and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard
3: crashes before we even tip a game off.
0: Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons.
2: A dollar to Curry, back.
4: So, a lot of us, uh, you know, over the last year and a half here, have kind of wondered, well, you know, what what did the Texans know? What uh, uh, Did they play any role in sort of enabling this in any way? There's also been, obviously, people who have uh, engaged in just wild, <laughs> just completely outlandish speculation uh, and conspiracy theories about it. But this is, I believe, uh, your piece is the first time anyone has actually <laughs> actually reported on what the Texans knew and, and what kind of role they played in, uh, uh, in this entire ordeal with Deshaun Watson.
6: Yeah, Gary, our reporting found that the Texans, whether knowingly or not, enabled some of the conduct. So we're not saying that they knew the full extent. They did not respond to questions about what they knew. In fact, in their statement, they said they first learned of the allegations in March 2021 when the first lawsuit was filed. However, in November 2020, the end of the last season that Watson would start a quarterback for the Texans, um, one of the women who is now suing him, she was not suing him at the time, um, but she had given him three massages um, in her the lawsuit she would later file. He, he, she says he built up to different requests, including oral sex and sexual intercourse. Um, but at the time, she had stopped working for this spa where now, four of the plaintiffs worked, and she posted some of their message exchanges and cash app exchanges on Instagram, and one of the messages she posted was, I could really expose you. So Watson told the Texans' head of security, Brent Nakara, former Secret Service agent, about these posts, and Nakara gave him a non-disclosure agreement. And then that same week, like days later, you know, the posts were on November 3rd, I believe, On November 6th, he took the non-disclosure agreement to an appointment with a massage therapist and, in fact, sort of used the existence of the non-disclosure agreement to reassure her as they were booking the appointment. You know, most definitely always professional. I even have a non-disclosure agreement. I have therapists signed, too. So I think what was left unsaid in that exchange is how she would benefit from an NDA that was meant to protect him and, you know why that meant that the massage was professional, but he, he began bringing this to massages and he admitted all of this in a deposition. Uh, and he said that he only used this NDA for massage appointments because other business that he was involved in, he had agents and lawyers for. Um, and the other way in which the Texans enabled the behavior, again, knowingly or not, was that several of the appointments, I believe four in the criminal complaints and civil complaints together, uh, said that the incidents happened at the Houstonian Hotel. It is an upscale hotel and club in the Houston area. George H.W. Bush once had an apartment there. So it's you know kind of this uh, country club type atmosphere with a fitness club, with restaurants on site, and there's also a hotel. The team secured Watson a membership there in the summer of 2020. Now, again, they haven't gone into specific details about why they got him the membership. And, you know, it's possible they got it for him in the middle of the pandemic. So he had access to the fitness facilities there. But he then began booking massage appointments at the hotel. And he says the team wasn't aware that he was using the hotel for massage appointments. But one of the women who met him for a massage there said that the room was not under Watson's name. She was told that it was under the name of a member of the Texans training staff. So I think when we look at the story, one of the important elements is the systems and people that helped enable this behavior. And I think we often see this with high profile people, you know, uh, whether it's athletes or movie stars or whatever the case may be, that there are a lot of times people or structures in place that allow behavior to go unchecked and yeah. you know i think in this case him having access to this exclusive hotel venue he the way he put it in a deposition was the texans got him a place there and the membership wasn't under his name um and then the use of a non-disclosure agreement i think there's a lot of questions about why a team security director would give a player a non-disclosure agreement and team didn't say what nakara knew when he gave watson the nda but you know the posts say i could really expose you um and it's uh, from a person that had given him massages you know do you look into that should you have looked into that and i think that's where the liability issue can come up
5: I, just to follow up on that i mean it is stunt somewhat stunning i mean do we think that and again, I mean, this is this is just us wondering, and I so much of this is I guess just us wondering. If we could be a fly on the wall of everybody's brains, we would have an easier time parsing out the the whys in the house. But to me, it blows my mind that someone said, Okay, this scares me enough that you should probably carry this document around with you when you go places. And Uh, you know at no point did that sort of make its way up any sort of or maybe it did and we just don't know but like at no point did it sort of make its way up to ring any bells either in the texans organization or even Deshaun, where it's like okay hey this is messed up enough that they're telling me to give these women something to sign that says they can't say anything so maybe what i'm doing is not correct Mm -hmm. you know
6: Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, Tony Busby's statement where he says that he plans to add the Texans to the lawsuit goes even a little step farther. You know, he says that uh, the Texans um, provided rooms for him at the hotel, which, again, indicates that they may have paid for those rooms, though he doesn't specify that. Um, And then they also provided massage tables and other support for his proclivities. So I think, you know, from that, um, we can sort of get this picture of a team that sort of knew he was, you know, booking some massage appointments away from the team. Again, Watson says he, they didn't know that he was booking them at the Houstonian, but he had seen so many different therapists uh, separate and apart from the massage group that was contracted with the team. Right. So, um, I think there's a lot of different pieces there that that you can put together. Um, and I think that is why um, they are now adding the Texans uh, as a defendant in the lawsuit.
4: And what's the what's the number now for the total number of massage therapists he he used over this mm-hmm. sort of year and a half period?
6: So from fall of 2019 to spring of 2021, I was able to confirm 66. I do not think that that is the full number. Uh, For instance, uh, you know, we all hear about the 18 therapists, right, who supported him. I only counted 15 of those because one woman was giving a statement of support and just owned a building that he would sometimes have massage appointments in according to her Mm -hmm. statement. Two of those women, um, they said they met him in 2018, so I couldn't confirm that they had worked with him in that narrow time period. but. so 66 is, is just what I can confirm in that time period. And I I certainly do not believe that it is exhaustive. Um, but it is certainly more than Watson has admitted. And in his opening press conference with the Browns, you know, he was asked about using 40 massage therapists that at that time, 22 plaintiffs and the 18 supporters. And he said, well, that was over five years, my entire time in Houston. Um, and again, we're not we're not saying that all 66 have alleged misconduct. Um, not all of the 66 have detailed their experiences with him. But it's still a, a significantly higher number than we even knew that he had worked with. Uh, significantly higher than most NFL players say they work with, especially a, a prominent player, right? I mean, star athletes have the resources and access to the best in whatever... Industry, they need so you know most our athletes say they have a handful of massage therapists they work with. You might have people in different cities. You might have a couple that rotate within your city, but but sixty six is, is certainly beyond what what anyone could expect that that you know a, a, a high profile athlete would would work with. Um, and so I, you know I think it, it that is a certainly a piece of how much this search for massage therapists um infused his life and that he was constantly seeking therapy from new people uh over instagram
4: i I just want to this is not necessarily surprising to anyone who has followed your work over the last year and a half but i just want to just want to mention this one more time this these details uh in your latest piece here for the new york times uh he he frequented uh a spa called the new you spa that is uh in a strip mall that is at least a 30 minute drive from from either his home or uh or the texans facility uh there's another woman who uh he he connected with uh uh, via instagram one of the plaintiffs which involved a 30 plus minute drive and he even said like like what was the uh the text has changed. He was like, damn, that's far. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, that is far. And, you know, in in one of the pieces you had done at Sports Illustrated, uh, <laughs> we we mentioned the fact that um, one of the massage therapists said, uh, Tashawn Watson had told her that he found her via Instagram Explorer, which is basically the, if, if you're not familiar with Instagram, and I am not, by the way, um, it is basically an algorithmically populated part of the app that is based on essentially your your activity on the app so it kind of implies he is just frequently in search of massage therapists
6: yeah i think that's exactly right gary and you know when the 24th lawsuit was filed the suit that uh, excuse me, the statement that Rusty Hardin put out was that they didn't know who the person was. It was the first time they were hearing their name. Um, they would have to do some investigation before they were able to respond. And the one thing that I noticed is in her suit, it says that uh, Watson paid her via cash app. So in theory, that payment should be part of his records, right? Um, so I think you ask them the question, what kind of investigation did his attorneys do into all of his massage activities? Did they look at his cash app transactions? And did they see how many of those were for massage or an amount that you might pay for massage or a, a cash app handle that indicated the person provided massage? And did they ask them about all of those people? I mean, I, I, I found it somewhat stunning that they they would openly say this was a person they would never, had never heard of. and Perhaps they did so. I mean, I don't know. Um, this is just speculation. Perhaps they did so to sort of cast uh, doubt on the person's account. Um, but if she's saying she paid with Cash App and she's filing a lawsuit, you could certainly imagine that um, her lawyers reviewed the Cash App transaction and that there is mm-hmm. some record of that. So um, so that was really surprising to me. And I think, you, Gary, you also mentioned, you know, um, uh, the woman that he met in Manville. And I think the goal in kind of teasing out that account, uh, a little bit more, you know, we've heard a lot from the defense that each of these accounts doesn't hold up on their own. Um, that's been what Harden and his, uh, Watson's defense team have put forward that people are reacting to the sheer volume. Um, but if you take anyone individually, it doesn't hold up. And so I think we tried to do both things in the story, just show the the breadth of people that he had worked with. Um, and also take some of the granular details that maybe you hadn't heard before. And I think in his message exchanges with her, you can kind of see some of the coercive behavior. Um, you can't spare an hour or, you know, needing to book right away. Um, when she doesn't reply right away saying, I'm just trying to support black businesses, which, um, you know, I I think did seem to resonate with with a lot of people and that a lot of these plaintiffs were women of color, and they were had a massage therapy practice that was, you know, in this case, this woman was a flight attendant who began taking massage therapy classes in the pandemic. But for a lot of women, it was their primary source of income. It's something that's very important to them. Um, And I think by saying you're trying to support their business, I think you see sort of coercion enter the picture there because he's essentially reminding them that he's important. Uh, he's an important client who could really benefit your business. Um, and I think that's an important part of the dynamics at play.
5: So that that part of your story stood out to me, Jenny, because, um, you know, and, and we've covered football as all all the way going back to beat reporters right and 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 i'm not equating these two things but you know i would always remember in the earlier days of twitter and social media and when all this stuff got started if a player patronized the local business he would tweet about it right he would say like maybe he got a free dinner or like a kia at whatever paul miller kia and was like all right everybody go to paul miller kia you know um it doesn't seem to me that through this guise of supporting local business. Now, there was the purchase, um, which you mentioned. He purchased something like 40 bottles of skin cleanser um, from one of the women. But if you're Deshaun Watson, right, and you wanted to help them grow a business and support a business, it doesn't seem like there was any kind of outward – like, hey, go get a massage here. This person's great. She, This is where the business is. Um, And so, like, it seems like there's been a lot of, um, m- like, slightly kind of moving, m- moving the goalposts from Deshaun's legal team. Well, it's like, well, he's actually kind of doing this. And it was actually kind of this. But at no point do we really see as clear of a picture of behavior as we do from the coercive side, if what I'm saying makes sense, right? Like, it's not like... If 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 the purpose of all this was to support local black owned business, then it doesn't seem like there was a whole lot of effort being done to actually support local black owned business.
6: Yeah, I think you've articulated that really well, Connor. Um, and I think, you know, we've seen different explanations. Uh, his defense team has sort of said that uh, they've tried to get ahead of the black businesses. um You know, comments that he made to people by saying, well, this was something he did in the community a lot. And that's not to say that he hasn't done that in other ways, but I think you're exactly right. You know, when a lot of these women began working with him, they thought this might be a way into uh, working with other Texans players. Or, yeah, maybe they post something on their Instagram story. For a small business owner, if someone like Deshaun Watson posts about your massage therapy practice on Instagram, that's huge for your business, or maybe they invest in the business. I mean, one person I, I spoke with said she, you know, asked him if, if he might invest um, and then, you know, never heard from him a- after that point. So I think, um, yeah, I, I think it's important to sort of see how it was presented to the women. Um, and that's why I was glad we were able to use the message exchanges, because I think you can kind of look at the message exchange and receive it as as if you were getting those messages, how you might feel. And I think that helps people sort of um, be in the, in the position of these women a little bit more, which has been a perspective uh, throughout that has been lost.
1: My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans. Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council.
2: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick
4: I want to get to one more thing, Jenny, and I want to kind of split it into uh, two categories here. Uh, The first part, it was not in your story, but I know it's something you have reported on uh, in the past for for the New York Times here. Uh, A lot of people who are supporting Deshaun Watson and and are sort of vocally, uh, you know, trying to uh, get people to to move on from these cases, uh, they always point to the the no bills from two grand juries. And one thing I have noticed over the past couple of weeks, let's say, uh, that is turning into a lot of well you know a law enforcement agency uh investigated him and and said there was no wrongdoing which obviously is factually incorrect on a number of uh uh of different levels but i just want to back up houston police obviously did investigate the uh 11 criminal complaints you know they are not they, they do not summon the grand jury they do not uh you know houston pd does not Uh, basically run the grand jury process here uh what do we know uh about houston pd and and any of their conclusions about these these uh uh, again specifically the the 11 criminal complaints against watson
6: right so 10 criminal complaints nine in harris county one in brazoria county and actually i should add that the the woman whose message exchanges we published um with the trying to support black owned businesses was the Brazoria complainant. Um, and so I, I, uh, you know, it took place in Manville. So that's slightly outside Harris County. Um, and so I think that provides insight into kind of what, um, what there was involved around her case that the grand jury could have reviewed. So we know that the Houston police, um, detectives, um, there was a search warrant they filed for Cash App records and Instagram records um, last fall. And in that they referred to the criminal complainants as credible and reliable. So I think the credible and reliable assessment from the detectives who worked the case is, is an important one here. Because I, I, you know we've heard a lot about um, people are saying because of the grand jury decision that there must have been credibility issues. Um, so I do think it's important to note that the investigators who worked the case put in a sworn document that these women were credible and reliable. Um, And you have to do that in order to ask for the information that you're trying to get from the search warrants. Tony Busby posted the other day that he had deposed one of the lead investigators in the case. um, And he mentioned a few things um, apparently that the lead investigator said about, um, you know, the process, according to Busby, um, this investigator said that they were convinced that Watson had committed more than 10 sexual crimes um, and that the ADA had prevented the investigating officers from talking to the women who had filed lawsuits but had not filed criminal complaints. Um, so that's his representation of it. You know, the deposition has not been made public. You know, I want to be clear that that is a one-sided interpretation of what this person said in their deposition. Um but, you know, I, I do think this it, that is an interesting part that he raises, that, um, you know, we, we reported a little bit on the contact between the defense and the district attorney. Um, there was a, a frequent regular dialogue between the sex crimes prosecutor in Harris County who would present to the grand jury and with Rusty Hardin and That is, you know, I think it shows the benefit of a well-connected and powerful attorney like Rusty Hardin. Um, He also provided Stallings a presentation to give to the grand jury on behalf of his client. Again, that's not something that happens with an average person. Um, You know, it's not that grand jury packets, as they're called, never happen, but certainly not for the average person facing charges. Um, But I I do think it's interesting, the one part of Busby's post, um, that, you know, the ADA prevented the investigating officers from talking to the women who had filed lawsuits, but had not filed criminal complaints again, per Busby. um, Because we didn't see really any contact, you know, the only contact that came back from my records request between Busby and the ADA was one email in March when the suits were originally filed. And the, the district attorney asked if the women had gone to police, which they subsequently did. But yes, civil cases are treated different from criminal, but, you know, Busby and his firm were representing these women in these allegations that they were making both criminally and civilly. And in addition to the women who filed police reports, there were these other plaintiffs, right? So eight, eight of his plaintiffs filed police reports. So there were at the time, 14 others. Um, and usually when you have an investigation like this, the totality of people making allegations is important um, because those additional people, even if they are not filing reports or, you know, haven't gone that route, they can be potential witnesses for your investigation. So I did think that part was interesting that the scope of the investigation was uh, apparently limited by the assistant district attorney. Um, And so I think, There's a little bit more of a public accounting that I think people would like to see about how this process was handled. But that's kind of the problem with an opaque grand jury process. It's all behind closed doors. It's treated with total secrecy. You know, you you don't see the subpoenas. You don't even know who appears. You don't know what's said behind closed doors. Um, But I do think this additional context that we're continuing to see, you know, whether it's the communication between the defense uh, and the prosecutor, you know, including, like, a presentation at Rusty Hardin's office. So the prosecutor went to Rusty Hardin's office for a presentation. Um, but we haven't really seen kind of any evidence that they've put forth that, you know, these crimes didn't exist. You know, they, they've really focused on what happened after the fact. Uh, women were still in touch with him or had multiple appointments. Uh, they haven't, at, at least publicly, have not said this is exculpatory evidence that we presented. Um, But I think all of those things are important to add context to the grand jury decision, especially because that's what the NFL acted on. Once there were no charges, all these teams lined up for Watson. That's what Harden keeps saying publicly, right? No charges for Watson. Thus we should all move on. Um, And so I think it's being held up as this, well, this was the main determinant, but the reality is there are, you know, just because there aren't charges doesn't mean there's wrongdoing first of all but also we don't really know a lot about the process that went, was gone through to arrive at that conclusion
4: and uh, this has been my uh understanding of it and and if i'm wrong let me know but uh, so the da convened uh, two da's two different counties convened grand juries uh for misdemeanor charges, and I know uh, indecent assault was – which is a misdemeanor in Texas uh, – was considered, uh, you do not have to convene a grand jury for that, only for felony charges. So I don't – again, w- we don't know about the DA's decision. We don't know that much about it. We we literally cannot know about what went on inside the grand jury hearing themselves, but uh, – they didn't necessarily have to happen is my understanding
6: right that's correct misdemeanor charges the charges could have just been filed and actually you know with with the felony charges you can also file a charge and then the grand jury essentially signs off on it but all of these were sent direct to grand jury now one former prosecutor in harris county i spoke to said that it wouldn't be inappropriate because these were all sort of related to the same set of allegations or the same person they were all kind of this 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 group that it it would potentially make sense for all of them to be considered together Mm -hmm. um since there was a mix of felony and misdemeanors um but i think you know what when you ask questions about the process you know the response from the ada's office or response from the da's office excuse me was basically like we respect the grand jury's decision and you know we, we went through the process and the process was normal. You know, Rusty Harden's response was contact is between the defense and the prosecutor is normal. And I think, you know, it sort of shows some of the transparency issues that that can happen. Um, and I think, you know, again, it shows that if you can hire a uh, a well-connected, powerful defense attorney that that they will probably have more of an input on the process and how your cases are handled than the average person would get.
4: Well, Jenny, thanks again for, uh, for coming by. We'll, we'll, we'll have you back probably for Watson at some point, but we'll also have you back at some point when we have something a little more lighthearted to discuss, uh, which, which would be probably a little more fun for everyone. Uh, and I just want to say before you go, I don't want you to get a big head, uh, over all of this stuff so i'll just say your reporting on the biggest story in the nfl over the past 18 months has been satisfactory
6: well thank you gary i mean i thought you were going to reference my quiz results from the last time i was on which were a little (laughs) bit embarrassing Um, and i know that you guys are mocking up another quiz for the next time that i'm on so listen i uh I am feeling uh, I'm feeling scared about my standing on the podcast. So no worries there,
5: Jenny. Just before you go, since I miss hosting a, a weekly football podcast with you so much. Um, not that Gary's not great. Gary's great. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> um, before you go, just give me. Uh, Like you said, we're going to we're going to have you back on to to talk about fun stuff. But is there in the back of your mind, is there room for any sort of like developing hot football take for the upcoming season? Like, is there something there like just to to leave us with?
6: Oh, a developing hot football take. Okay, Um, I don't know. Do you feel like the Rams are just going to take a big step back this year?
5: Ooh, see,
6: I'm I'm feeling that. I don't know.
5: That's what we call a cliffhanger in this business, people. Look maybe at that. We
6: could, maybe we could talk about it more next time. But I, I just, you know, that just came to me the other day. I just, uh, you know, I saw the, you know, Matt Stafford com- coming back from, you know, procedure on his elbow, right? And it just felt like, you know what? This, this seems like a team that's going to have a little bit of a hangover.
5: Mm, you start doing those AT&T commercials and it all comes tumbling down. I'm just saying Andy Benoit will not
4: let it happen.
6: true. That's true. You know what? that's that's right. Andy Benoit will hold things together. I, I should I should uh,
5: spicy I end should to the show my
6: take. yeah.
5: Frentis calls out former colleague. Uh, this is this is perfect.
6: You were really setting me up, weren't you?
5: Perfect. Yes, 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 yes. The MMQB
4: NFL Podcast is Connor Orr and me, Gary Gramling. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody, and our senior podcast producer is Dan Bloom. Mark Mravick is emeritus editor of the MMQB Super Bowl champion. Andy Benoit is the founder of the MMQB NFL Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this feed on Apple Podcasts. And once you do, please leave a rating and review because it really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts.